Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider Talk The Amazing Spider I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for the fourth episode of the third season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And let me say this, Mark, welcome back to the show after your move. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. Yeah, I'm in a house now. Everything is going well. I apologize again for all the truncated episodes, but you certainly held the fort down admirably in my absence, and, and I'm sure we all appreciate it, but I certainly appreciate it. So thank you for that. Well, awesome. Thanks, Mark. It was a lot of fun. Well, great. So uh, in this third season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk, Dan, as you know, or do you, because it's been so broken up so far, we've been following our favorite web-slinger through the transition into the Bronze Age, a time period that is known for its darker tone and sometimes outlandish stories. Uh, Today, with Gwen out of the picture, snap, uh, we'll be taking a look at how Peter and Mary Jane Watson's relationship evolved into a real romance during Jerry Conway's run on the title. As always, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. So if you enjoy the show and you want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. And because of all these amazing patrons, we have to say thank you. So we want to thank all of our new patrons who made this very episode possible. So thanks to Brandon Roberts, Matthew Amuso, Tyler Keon, and Steve Lambert. Awesome. Well, so while it's sad that Gwen has passed away, snap, we hope you enjoyed the blossoming new romance in our episode entitled A Door Closes. Yeah, Dan, it's callous and uh, it's kind of cold, but, you know, 
it's worth talking about because it just felt like minutes within uh, Gwem's corpse being uh, buried, Peter was moving on, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, I think before we even get to talking about Mary Jane, it, it's worth talking about Peter's response to Gwen's death in the pages of this comic. I would say for what, like half a dozen issues, Peter is kind of like angry and lashing out at people and a little more like surly than he normally is. But we really don't hang that much time on Gwen's death in this book. I'm not to say that he immediately starts dating other people, but like you really think for a moment this substantial that it would really become the backbone of all of these stories moving forward. And it really took like another 20 or so issues to really get back to it in, in serious earnestness. Yeah, I think so. And I, 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 and obviously Gwen's death is like mind. I feel so wonderfully now in terms of when you go back and you look at like the wedding issue and stuff like that, like, you know, it's always kind of this specter haunting Peter and, you know, especially when it comes to his love life. But yeah, in the immediate aftermath, it's like, Again, not that he's like just ready to literally pick up and move on, but um, I mean, you could just tell. And, you know, when we had Jerry Conway on our show years ago, I think it was the first time we had him on. He talked about this. I mean, like they didn't know what else to do with Gwen. So that, I think that's kind of reflected in how they wrote Gwen postmortem, because what do you, what do you, what is there to write about? Like like the character and Peter, their relationship was kind of a dead end in terms of storyline potential. So what else are they going to do? And And it was very clear that. Jerry, at least as a fan, had a very active interest in Mary Jane. Uh, he always found her to be the more uh, engaging and entertaining character. So, and I think that's reflected in these issues, not because like he puts MJ on a pedestal, just the opposite, but she's just a more interesting character. And I think there are more interesting moments that happen between Peter and MJ than uh, anything we really got between Peter and Gwen down the stretch before she died. And I think his writing of MJ reflects some of his most mature writing in the entire run. It's thoughtful about the character, and it acknowledges her history in a way I think that Jerry kind of uniquely did in his time on the book. You know, silly stories and all. Like, he always was finding a way to reflect on the full history of these characters. And, you know, the interplay that he has between them is really fabulous. So uh, let's get to talking about some of those interplays between Peter and MJ that would kind of form the backbone of their early relationship and, and stories that would be mined for a potential for, you know, decades to come. Even today, I would say we're still kind of following up on some of the moments here. So we've kind of isolated three major moments to talk about uh, within the pages of this book. And some of them we've talked about before, but let's, let's really talk about like them in a structural way. Like, how are these the kind of like uh, moments that define Peter and MJ's relationship for years to come? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think the best place to start in this case would be the very, very last page of Amazing Spider-Man issue number 122, which was the, the, the second half of the death of Gwen Stacy storyline, also the death of the Green Goblin of Norman Osborn uh, until he comes back as a cl- in the Clone Saga, of course. Um, you know, Dan, it's it's very funny. And, and, you know, this moment, this this thing, this idea literally just popped into my head as I started talking to you. You know, we, we call in this episode A Door Closes and, you know, there's so much symbolism uh, in all of these moments related to doors. And of course, you know, when Mary Jane Watson was first introduced to Peter 
in Amazing Spider-Man number 42, how is she introduced with a door opening? And and it seems like all of these big moments are kind of centered around a door closing, which is kind of funny. I don't I, I, I'm assuming if, if we asked Jerry about that, he would be coy. But I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Right. That's a really good observation. And, and this moment, is, you know, it's I wouldn't say it's as iconic, but it's be really become, you know, uh, an even more iconic moment uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I think this is the moment that MJ kind of becomes a real character. And it's not that she wasn't real before. She certainly had a, like a, a characterization that like was consistent and believable, this kind of party girl attitude. But this seems to be the first time that the book really acknowledges that as a kind of like character flaw in a way and have her respond knowingly to that flaw that makes it really interesting that this character can be like self-reflective in a way that I can't imagine Stan writing her, you know, like she was an archetype before, but here she becomes like a, a fully modeled character. Yeah. I mean, compare how she is in just this one page, essentially uh, to like the, the, the drug code issues, um, the comic code issues back, you know, that we talked about last season, where I think a lot of MJ's characterization is kind of uncomfortable because it's like, you know, she's essentially being blamed for Harry Osborne's uh, drug abuse, <laughs> like, you know, her, her flirtatious kind of, you know, loose ways. Uh, so, like, it, it, it's kind of nice to bring bring that back in a, in a way where, like, you know, we're acknowledging here, like, Peter is is quite cruel to MJ in this scene. I mean, it's, you know, she comes over, just to set it up, she comes over in, in the aftermath of Gwen's death, um, to Peter's apartment and, you know, her, her, her words to, to Peter. I mean, and, and this sounds like kind of an MJ-ish phrase. It's like, oh, I'm really torn up about this, which is, you know, I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's, it's lingo from the time. It's so, it's appropriate, but at the same token, it, it you know, knowing kind of MJ's footloose and fancy ways, it, it, it's, it's kind of flippant. It doesn't really... Yeah, it's exactly. Thank you. You you said it better than I could. It, it's it's very flippant. Um, so Peter just kind of like digs in and it's just kind of like, you know, whatever. What are you doing here? You know, why don't you just leave? And, you know, she ha- she hesitates and she looks towards the door. And I think, you know, previous MJ would just leave. You know, that was how she normally be written. Like, fine, you, you know, if you're going to be a square, I'm out of here. But instead, she closes the door and stays with Peter um, and consoles him. And it's 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 such a warm moment. But it's also like it's it just feels it's this it kind of walks this line of being quite despairing. But also, I mean, Jerry would later admit that it was kind of him trying to install some hope into the scene. But it, it really runs the gamut. There's a lot of different emotions going on in just one page. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, I I love that this is just one page, that you can get so much out of these two characters and so many emotions uh, in, in what amounts to eight or nine panels. That's that's just a wonderful thing. The way that Ross Andrew uh, sequences the art is really fabulous, too. You get very small movements, you know, from a book that's with so much bombast you know, coming off of the death of the goblin pages earlier and things like that. The book slows down considerably and each moment is like, you can tell it was worked over for a long time. I think Jerry's admitted to us as much that like they really kind of designed this page in a very particular way. And I think it's really beautiful for what it like doesn't show you and doesn't say, 
which has kind of let the, you know, it opened to speculation about what occurred in the room. And I want to talk about that in a second, but I, I think it's so wonderful that we've never seen the subsequent conversation or scene in any flashback. I think it would only serve to like ruin the moment. And, uh, you know, like this is one of those things where like the implication is everything. And it's a kind of like art in that you don't find that commonly in these books, you know, in a book where everything is spelled out pretty clearly. This is like one of the first true moments of like beautiful ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, it's a real provocative inversion on the trope that, like, she, you know, typically in certainly a comic or some kind of story that where you're not seeing all all angles, you you know, if there's a image of a door closing, you know, you you as the reader, you're not seeing what's behind the door. That's why the door you you are being shut out. Here, you see the door closing, and you're seeing what's in front of the door. But then you don't see any further. So it's this really kind of clever inversion of like, you know, they're, they're, they're showing you just enough to know that this is something big and important, but it's still a private moment and you're not going to see all of it or, or the vast majority of it. And, and I, I just like how they keep how they play with that idea of showing you a little, but really nothing. You know, it's it's it truly is left to the imagination and and. It's like I said, it's just it's just clever writing and clever, you know, visualization and rendering of, of all these different ideas. And there's that one line when you're speaking of writing that says, you know, for a moment, she hesitates by the door. That's kind of narration block that, you know, tells us basically like what's going on inside of MJ's head. And it's the first time that we're really allowed inside of MJ's head, you know, like that we know that she's hesitating means she's thinking something over, right? This is an active choice by her, which gives it all the more meaning. Yeah, I mean, again, like, like pre- and I'm not trying to, like, slam on Stan or anyone else who had written MJ prior to this, but it's, it's you know, she's she's less of an object here, finally. Like you said, we're, we're getting inside her head. We're, 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 we're seeing things from her perspective. It allows her to become more fully fleshed out. I mean, yeah, like you said, she, she was... A character in terms of she had characterization and she was consistent. I mean, there was no question that MJ was always consistently written, but there there was no death. And 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 you can see here in that moment of hesitation, and and of course this would later be mined by other by Jerry and by other writers that you know by giving her that hesitation and then giving her the active choice to stay um, that. You know, again, it leads the reader to think, oh, maybe there's more to why she has always kind of been flippant and and this party girl shallowness element to the character, like like because she's clearly not like that all the time. So that complexity again leads the reader to fill in some of the blanks on their own and want to continue to see more of this character to see if then the writer will fill in some of those blanks. Can we talk about what this scene is not? Because I think it's really important that we clear this up because I see this all the time online is that people seem to want to read into this. that This is the first kind of carnal moment between Peter and MJ that they consummate their relationship in this moment with the door closing. And I know we're going to talk about this again later, but I think if you read this and think that there is some kind of sexual activity going on behind this door, you have like, severely misread this comic yeah i you know it's funny that that got brought up a few uh maybe a month or two ago 
Dan, and I know you were part of that conversation, and it it, it kind of threw me because I have never, I've never personally read it that way to any degree. You know what I mean? So it was like, where, where where is this even coming from? But yeah, I guess I guess this is something that has taken on a life of its own to some degree. So um, it's kind of kind of stunning to me. But no, I agree with you one hundred percent. Obviously, um, this, this is this is about fr- friendship and consoling. And, and like I said, it's grieving, but it's like, it's, it's also, I feel the creators letting the audience know that Peter, despite this loss that he just experienced, is going to be okay-ish, I guess, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that there are people that are still going to be there for him, even with the loss of Gwen. Jerry, at the end of, I mean, we 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 obviously touched on Mary Jane earlier, but you know the 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 scene, and it's one of my favorite scenes with the character, and might even be my favorite scene in, in Maze of Spider-Man one twenty two, the that that epilogue with yeah. Mary Jane coming. So, I mean, I guess the first question is, I mean, was was there any bit of you know caution in terms of hypothetically setting Peter? In this, in the you know, in the same setting as a, as a prior romantic interest, and you know, in the same storyline where his current girlfriend died. I mean, was that? Did you have any caution? But I mean, was that also like your your clear signal that this is the direction that you wanted the character to go romantically? I wanted to accomplish a couple of things. I mean, uh, and we actually that 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 sequence was redrawn because the way that uh, that Gill had done it uh, wasn't didn't provide the same sort of closure that I think it, it provides now. So John Romita redrew the last two or three panels. I, I, I didn't want us to leave this storyline with no hope for Peter, you know, that, that, that he was obviously uh, devastated and destroyed emotionally. And so were the readers, you know, going to be devastated and destroyed emotionally by this story. But I didn't want to leave it, at that, you know, where there is no sense that uh, uh, life will not go on in some way. But I also didn't want it to feel like he's going to pick things up and everything is going to be happy and he's going to be right back into a relationship with another girl. I wanted it to feel like she's his friend first here, you know, that that he needs somebody who's going to be able to accept his pain at this moment. You know, a, someone who is going to be able to hear him and not walk away from him while he's at, at this lowest point of his life. And that's what that was. I was trying to communicate with that, but also at the same time, you know, give us a sense that, you know, she's, uh, available to him as a potential, you know, future, romantic interest uh but but without crossing that line you know i mean it was a very very delicate line to sort of to be on and so there's no sense that they're going to kiss and embrace and all of that you know it's it's uh, she's going to be there for him uh you know while he's uh in his in his pain uh and i think that was really all that's why the door closes you know on the two of them uh so they can have that private private space yeah i mean that's just to me that's always just a scene where she she totally evolves into a yeah she grows up yeah she grows up in that in that on that two pages 
that's where she makes her choice of who she's going to be. So I, I was really happy with that, too. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a moment that is actually physical in some way. That's Amazing Spider-Man 143, the Cyclone issue. Yeah, I mean, great great issue for other, other reasons, right? <laughs> yeah, so this is the first kiss between Peter and MJ. And boy, is it an awesome moment as rendered on the page. Why don't you talk about this one? Yeah, I mean, again, so so Peter is is going to to France uh, for um, for work and um, MJ is there at the airport to to see him off and and you know kind of typical of of the Ross Andrew era of of artwork on this book you know Ross Ross loves picking up on New York City landmarks so um, you know here we're getting ample you know JFK airport stuff here you know in terms of the terminal area. Um, I'm sure it was all like very accurate down to like, you know, the, the, the seating arrangements and stuff like that. And, you know, as Peter is, is getting ready to go, you know, he, he and MJ are chit chatting and she's like, you know, she refers to him as tiger again. And he's like, why do you always call me tiger? And she's like, well, I call you tiger, Chris, you're not, which is like really a put down like 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 what a, what a, what a, what a crappy thing to say right <laughs> and you know she's just kind of like ah give me a kiss like that but like he like really goes in for it and lays this like really romantic deep kiss on her that kind of just leaves her her speechless and then he's off and you know there's this narration about you know there was something about it that changed them and clearly it did um as we would find out in later issues but but yeah, I, get, I mean, to me, I always like to start with like the setup to this, which is basically, you know, MJ kind of challenging Peter's manhood and him responding. Yeah, that's really great. My favorite detail of the kiss is, um, I mean, beyond how it's rendered, which is really like romantic and stunning, uh, especially in its like page layout. You know, it's like small panels to a big splash, which, you know, the first kiss between these two, like. I think even looking back 2020, this is still a, a stunning moment, you know, even though these people had no idea how, you know, beloved this couple would, would ultimately become. But I love that, like, the one person who seems to really truly understand the gravity of the moment is Robbie Robertson, who's, like, sitting in the background smiling a big grin with his pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Robbie, man. The guy the guy is always just there. He is the best observer of everything, right? Him and him and Ben Urich are the observers of the Marvel universe. They are the true watchers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we get you mentioned the line that set, like solidifies it in, in history that it says in the book, neither he nor she will ever be the same. And and it's true. The the book changed from here on out. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's and it still just kills me because you go back and and you know we talked to Jerry about this and he's talked to others about this like you know there was never any intent to take Peter and MJ further than just boyfriend girlfriend and and you know you know like MJ could never settle down I think is kind of like everyone's token um, line about it and yet. A moment like this and the way it's written and the way it's framed and the fact that it spells out the fact that this is kind of a life-changing moment for these characters and it just makes you wonder okay well if not marriage fine but 
what what was your intentions with these characters then? You know what I mean? What did you ultimately like? What was where were you going with it? I guess maybe they didn't know and they didn't need to know because it's it's someone else's problem once they leave the book. But I mean, it's clear that that not only did Jerry Conway have an appreciation for MJ as a character, but he he had an appreciation, I think, for Peter and MJ. Like you don't write moments like this if you don't think that there is some kind of deeper connection between these characters that's worth exploring. I mean, the moment is so well rendered. It's like they, they damned them with perfect romance. You know, like th- there was no way out of this. No one else is going to write a better moment than this between two people falling in love. I mean, it's, it's really uh, astonishing. And, and, and you talk about Peter stepping up to his manhood. My favorite thing about this is that like the minute it happens, they both realize, I think the depth of their, uh, care for each other mm-hmm. in a way that catches them both off guard. And so you get these great moments afterwards where like Peter is laughing about it. And, and to me that felt, always felt like, like him truly laughing, like felt like a, a healing moment where he's like finally out of the shadow of Gwen. He's finally like a bit healed from that. And they both get these beautiful quiet moments where like Peter is on the airplane looking out the window, seeing MJ get smaller and smaller and they don't have to say anything. It's just silent, but you know that in his head, you can read all the things he's thinking about, you know? And the same is true with MJ. She walks out of the airport, and when she's all alone at the terminal, you get this small little, like, you know, word balloon with small lettering that just says, far freaking out. You know, like, <laughs> that she's caught off guard by the feelings that she has. And, you know, with the retcon later, finding out more about MJ's history, like, it's totally in character, that she would have like sealed herself off from these feelings, but when it they they happened to her so quickly, she she remarks about like how much it's caught her you know caught her off guard, far freaking out as she puts it. Definitely no, and 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 it's it's funny that you talk about this being like a good healing moment for Peter because I mean again there were there were moments prior to this that you know certainly insinuated that Peter and MJ were were together. I mean, Harry Osborne kidnaps MJ is kind of like the token damsel in distress storyline is part of uh, his his um, ascension to the Green Goblin uh, mantle. Yeah, it, it 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 does feel like this is more of a consummation of that without it being a you know I guess to the fullest extent of a, of, a, of consummation, but. It's just a nice moment, and again, like you said, like the way the way it's rendered. I mean, it's it's very, in its own simple '70s way, very passionate uh, in terms of how it's framed and 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 the way the kiss itself is rendered. It's 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 quite romantic. I mean, you 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 didn't get a scene like this between Peter and Gwen until essentially a retcon, which was I would say Spider-Man Blue, like that last scene in Spider-Man Blue with the, with the Valentine. But like you know, certainly during the Ramita. Stan Lee era now granted Ramita drew beautiful women but like you never got like a moment that like actually kind of smoldered the pages of the comic the way this does and this exact like image of them kissing would be referenced multiple times later in the comic I mean it's certainly no you know if this be my destiny lifting metal you know like in terms of references but any like major kiss between Peter and MJ is typically rendered with them in the same kind of pose um, I can think of at least one or two instances where that's true. Yeah, I would say of of all the Peter and MJ um, visuals, I mean, number one is obviously Face It Tiger, but then this would be number two in terms of how it's been referenced over the years. 
Certainly, certainly. So, um, speaking of references back to earlier content, let's move on to Amazing Spider-Man number 149. This is, like, at the very tail end of the first clone saga, and kind of the issue where we find out, like, who and what the Jackal is and his whole plan. And we're going to talk about the Clone Saga in another episode in great detail. But um, let's talk about, you know, this scene that's kind of like the capper to that story between Peter and MJ. Do you want to set this up for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, again, so earlier in this storyline, I think it was around issue, it was actually the the second part of this um of the of the storyline we were just talking about with the cyclone and the kiss, Gwen Stacy's clone appears, and it you know obviously like you said it sets up this whole um, storyline involving the jackal, and then Peter fighting his own clone, and you know the clone being burned in a smokestack and never being seen again ever, um, because you know the storyline was one and done, right? Never again. Never again. Um, but um, beyond that. Um, you know, Peter was kind of going through an existential crisis because even though he knew that something was awry with this this clone of Gwen, you know, it was bringing back old feelings for him. And at the end of the story, after he has this huge fight with, with the Jackal and his clone and, and saves Ned Leeds and they blow up Shea Stadium, um, this whole thing, he, you know, he, he basically makes a choice of sorts where he... he you know, basically tells the clone, you know, I, I can't be with you. I, I'm already with somebody. And then he goes and and finds MJ. And MJ is kind of like, you know, she's 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 dealing with the fact that she thinks she's lost Peter. And so she seems like happy to see him. And then, you know, again, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier in this episode, she he goes into her home. She closes the door. But now we're not seeing what's going on behind the door. And, you know. Whereas, as we were talking about ASM number 122, like, I don't know how you can mistake what you see in that scene as being anything other than just very platonic and loving. Um, there has always been this assumption that what's behind the door is is, is not to be seen for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reflects what is going on in Amazing Spider-Man 143. Peter is far more aggressive here than, than than anywhere else like he seems like a, a man with like a romantic mission of some kind yeah yeah and i um actually back in 2014 i don't know if it was for this show i mean did, did i read this email on our show dan i don't i'm trying to remember or did i do this maybe for a post i was working on on chasing amazing i'm not i'm not sure but i remember reading it as well okay i i emailed jerry conway um, just to be like, so, so what happened behind the door, Jerry? <laughs> you know, cause I'm sure writers love to like talk about stories they did years ago where they intentionally didn't show what happened behind the door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and true to four Jerry's, Jerry's response, um, was that, um, well, for, you know, he brings up the fact that, you know, the, the one other time that the door closed with Peter and MJ, um, where she stayed to comfort Peter after the death of Gwen, he 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 mentions that you know he was kind of tipping his hat to the 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 cliche of a closed bedroom door su- suggesting sex, but he also knew that this was his last issue on the book, which it was until he would uh, return to Spider-Man years and years later. So he was also essentially closing the door on his own run of the book, uh, and then he concludes his email to to this 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 
nagging fan of his. Life is full of mystery, and there are no final answers, only more questions. Woo! I think I prefer to leave the question unanswered. <laughs> uh, and that is that. So, um, you know, again, read read from it what you will. Um, was 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 there sex? Was there just more comforting? I don't know, but um, it's certainly a good, like you said, nod back to the initial door closing. Um, and um, instead of you know even going way way back to ASM forty two, instead of it being. MJ at Peter's door, it's Peter at MJ's door and kind of going into the house and and the world of possibilities being before them until eventually, you know, other writers got bored and wrote MJ out of the book. Um, But but for the time, it seemed like this was kind of like, I mean, if 143 was a consummation, this was really the consummation and, and, and maybe in the most literal way. So I don't know. What do well, you think, then? I, I, I'm curious to know where you land on this, but I have to say that, like, Peter literally says to her, like, you know, come here and I'll show you. Right. Like, it's really aggressive to me. And, like, look, I don't want to spend my whole day, like, talking about <laughs> the sex life of a fictional character, like, but, like, that seems pretty definite to me. Uh, y- y- you know what I mean? Like, it's really aggressive. Uh, and the context seems pretty clear. I, I agree. I agree. I, I, you know, let's let's not like you know we don't have the debate now. Is this when he lost his virginity? I, I, look, I don't want, like I, I know there are people who think that, and it's like I, I whatever. <laughs> They're fictional characters. <laughs> 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 like doesn't matter. Um, but but I think the the the, the larger context of you know it's clearly like these characters taking the next step in their relationship um like i said it 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 we just only it really only just got undone because you know i felt like in this issues that followed with len ween they kind of like meandered a bit and then marv wolfman came on the book which is going to be taking place after our season not to jump too far ahead but you know he basically decided i don't want to write these two characters together anymore it's done you know again like Jerry Conway didn't want them together or didn't want them super serious, but this feels super serious. Like, and, and it's only fitting that, that he would end his run with, you know, truly keeping the two characters he wanted together together. So, um, you know, you just mentioned that MJ would kind of like leave Peter and, and they kind of had this off and on relationship for a really long time. Like I was just reading the beginning of the spectacular run again for a, a future episode of our, our show and I was reminded, oh yeah, MJ dated Flash after this. You know, like she's kind of back into her dating around mode. So I guess my question to you, Mark, is uh, do you consider this the kind of what we talked about today, the true start of their romance or just another step on the way towards that romance that would really blossom when they reveal their true feelings and identities to each other much later on? I think this is the start because like even if you go to like the newspaper strip, which I think we'll talk about a little bit this season, like in the newspaper strip, not granted that's a separate universe, but, you know, Stan, Stan wrote them together, you know, and I think like it, it just kind of felt right. Like they, they, you know, they, Stanley, the old traditionalist that he was, you know, the, the, the superhero has to have a girl, you know what I mean? And, and with Gwen out of the picture, literally MJ became the girl. So, whether you know, yes, yeah, some writers took more advantage of it than others, and then they split them up and brought them back, and split them up and brought them back. But I, I, I truly feel like these these run of issues, and, and specifically these three moments, kind of signal that like 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, not to, not to get totally like off the walls in terms of my pop culture references, but it kind of felt like Carrie and Big in Sex and the City. Like it's like <laughs> one way or another, these two characters kind of felt destined at one way or another to be together in one fashion or another. And I, I don't know, like that's that's that to me seems to kind of be what these moments led to. Ultimately, that's always been my reading of it. See, now I think we should rename this episode of the show Sex and the Spider Talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll, I'll relent. I'll relent. Okay. That, might, that might push us into adult content that I, I, I'm not looking to attract. I'm Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. well, any, any final words on, on this relationship during this era? I mean, I don't know. Whatever happened to these two? i guess we'll never know or it was all retconned so we truly will never know i I mean in all seriousness though the dan i mean like it is you know we kind of talk about over the years especially as it relates to peter and mj how they're written together um and i do find it fascinating that just from the very beginning like they're they're really written well here like 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 this does feel like a like a real romance and that there's good complexity here. There's some fun moments. There's some romantic moments. I mean, like this is how comic book superhero romance works, you know, like it really gets integrated well here. Um, And I don't feel like every creative tandem that's worked on these characters that followed always got it to the degree that, that Jerry and Ross and Jerry and Ramita did. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's great that they, they, they really had a handle. They really had direction. It's clear that Jerry, you know, despite his age, despite being so young and, you know, coming off the heels of killing off Gwen, he, he, he had his ideas and he put them, he put them forward and they work, I think for the most part, like there's nothing about these scenes that don't work. Um, everything seems to really do what it needs to do. So, um, you know, kudos to that. It, it, the reason why these characters kind of became, so Destin, I think it's because of how well they're written here. I think there's also something to MJ not being Peter's first girlfriend that made her hang around a bit longer. When you look at like all of the other kind of early Marvel characters that were kind of paired up almost immediately and never really veered from that, you know, with like right. to- Tony and Pepper Potts and, and, you know, Be- Betty Ross and, and, you know, Bruce Banner and, you know, Sue Storm and Mr. Fantastic and blah, 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 blah. You know, like they weren't really allowed all that much kind of freedom to find their soulmate. And so they kind of got stuck with their like, you know, Silver Age girlfriend. But there, there's something about MJ coming later that allowed the romance to take on a, a heightened level of significance because it felt earned. And I think mm. that's why people are so precious about the Mary Jane relationship in a way that they aren't with other relationships in the Marvel Universe. I mean, people will be pissed if they retconned Sue Storm and, uh, you know, Reed Richards' relationship. But, like, MJ feels extra special to, I think, a lot of people beyond Spider-Man's just just his pure popularity alone. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. All right, Dan, well, why don't I take us home? So uh, thanks again for joining us for this fourth episode of our third season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. Uh, Dan, what's coming down uh, the for the next episode of our show? Well, Mark, our next episode is going to be looking at another hugely important relationship in Spider-Man's life. Yes, we'll be taking a look at the increasingly complicated relationship between Peter Parker and his friend slash enemy, his frenemy, 
Harry Osborne and how these Bronze Age stories would serve as a basis for their future adversarial relationship. And to make things even better, we'll be joined by the creator behind so many of these excellent stories, not the ones from the Bronze Age, but much later down the line. J.M. DeMatteis will be rejoining us on the show after we first interviewed him over five years ago. Yeah, he was our first creator interview, Dan. So it's kind of fun to, to get JMD back, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to us connecting with him. So, um, you know, uh, be a little patient for that. It's going to be a fun one. I think it's kind of funny that we haven't had him back on at all this time. I think we're just looking for a good reason to, you know, I mean, there's probably always a good reason to have him back on. And maybe this is just our kind of looking the other way, but I, I'm thrilled to have him back because I feel like we've kind of done him a bit of a disservice on the show. Absolutely. Well, um, that's going to be fun. And also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 19, also known as 820. There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon than to join us for our exciting coverage of this new run. Well, it's not so new anymore, Dan. It's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, swarm B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commission artwork this time from Barry Kitson. Also, be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man. It's an awesome podcast, and on the latest issue, they just discussed Spider-Man with Great Power, the graphic novel, and I'll have you know that I'll be appearing on an upcoming episode of that show to talk about Grim Hunt, just in time for Hunted. I got to get back on that show, Dan. I, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling jealous now. So Well, I, I've only been on it once, so I mean, this, this is me kind of like doing work that should have been done a long time ago. Okay, okay. So, you know, now we'll be tied. We've both been on the show once. Uh, Okay, fair enough. Well, another place you should join us is the Amazing Spider Slack. It's our kind of like forum community that you can join to talk about Spider-Man and all things comics. There's a link to it in our episode's description, and you can join our community. I'll tell you what, Mark, it's truly my favorite place to talk about Spider-Man on the internet when I'm not talking to you specifically, because... It's just not toxic at all. It's just people sharing their love of Spider-Man. And with so much of the rest of the internet being full of like hot takes, just made to get your blood boiling, it's nice to be reminded that people can talk about the character in a sane way. Absolutely. Well, Dan, speaking of hot, toxic takes, where can we find you on social media? <laughs> the best place for hot takes and toxicity, it's Twitter. You, yeah, I know. And you can follow me at, at Sup Spider Talk, where I'm talking about Spider Man and currently chronicling my journey through the game Sekiro uh, because I love that game and I just want to share it with the masses. Mark, what about yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I'm not trying to like tear my eyeballs out from reading it too much, I am on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog. Um, not really playing any video games. I'll talk about running stuff sometimes. I mean, you know. Running is kind of like video games, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot better for you, and I'm jealous that you're just, frankly, a better person than I am. <laughs> oh, I'm not a better person. Um, <laughs> but, but but you can find me there, and um, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Ginocchio, and, you know. Oh, and of course, you can get my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Now, Mark, we're not talking about, you know, Peter and Mary Jane's wedding quite yet, but like some of the like core elements of their relationship were really started here. And that is like kind of like a 
understanding between each other of a, a motto that forms the backbone of their lives together and our show. So, uh, you know, Mark, why don't you tell the listeners at home what we all share in common? Wow, that's, that's some setup, Dan. Well, of course, <laughs> what, what we all share is that motto, which is, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs>